Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Ready for takeoff. This is the time. It's now or never. When did not having a plan become a plan? Insanity seems to be the driving force. Ignorance is not a tactic. Well, hello, everyone. This is Rob Collins, your host of It's All About the People. And um, we have a um, very interesting podcast uh, this time. So I want to welcome everybody to the show. And in the studio, we have a special guest. Um, and we will be talking about some, some very uh, serious and interesting topics. And my guest happens to be Mama D, a very, very well-respected historian of black history, activist, proponent of human rights. And um, she will be telling you a little bit about herself in just a little bit. But I, I just want to make sure that, um, that I properly welcome her. And um, I really do appreciate you coming on the show uh, to talk about these topics with me. And I know you have a couple things coming up. So thank you, Mama D. Well, I really, really appreciate being here. And um, having you talk about this, um, because when you consider 1619 to 2019, 400 years um, of kidnapped and enslaved captives arriving from the continent of Africa, and that uh, there is a commission as well as a law uh, H.R. 1242, are you familiar with that? Yes, I am. If you can just tell our listeners a little bit about that. Well, basically, uh, it was in 2017, I think, uh, when uh, there was a, this commission formed in order to talk about the uh, highlight, uh, the contributions mm -hmm. and the impact of the 400 years of kidnapped Africans being in this country. And you can't go into the impact without going into the financial impact of uh, 246 years of free labor and crimes against humanity, not to mention the 88 years right. of Jim Crow genocide following that and the 11 years Following that, if you do the math, you're talking 345 years, subtract 400 years, when we've only had 55 short years, when we as a people have not had federal laws against us as a group. Mm -hmm. These laws were not against everybody. In the uh, Brown versus Board of Education decision in which they said heart and mind damage, uh, it had nothing to do with heart, uh, palpitations in the chest or cardiac arrest. They were right. talking about inferiority damage, mm -hmm. but they used legal ease. And when they said heart and mind damage, psychological and academic, because for every dollar you spent on black child's education, you spent on a $100 on a white child's education, and then they use some more legalese. It's doubtful that they will ever overcome it, you know, and 
that's irreparable harm. Yeah. So then we talk about the basically reparations. So let me let me ask you a question about that. Now, there's left side, right side, and then somewhere in the middle about um, attitudes and uh, opinions on reparations. How do you feel about that? Uh, the government saying, this is what we did to you, um, so here is what we think you should have. Well, the government, unfortunately, haven't said, this is what we did to you, and this is what you should have. Mm -hmm. I always introduce myself as a crimes against humanity descendant because my grandparents was born before December 18, 1865, mm -hmm. when uh, slavery was ratified and it ended on that day and I am a Jim Crow genocide survivor because I was born before 1954 when the Brown versus Board of Education uh, said this irreparable harm mm -hmm. was done to children so young until the only way they could express themselves were through dolls and yet there was no counseling, there was no treatment, there was no anything of any kind. And I also introduced myself as an indigenous native black American. If you are in the country before it becomes a country and you're living there as a people, you're indigenous people of that land. Mm -hmm. Now, there's only two people in America that are not immigrants. First of all, the, it's the uh, indigenous Native Americans that were here already and the indigenous uh, Native uh, captives from the continent of Africa. Right. Now, coming from a continent is certainly different from coming from a country. Everybody else is here because they came by choice they didn't come in chains, right. and they were not already here. So because they came from a country with a land and a language, and they came by choice, they are all immigrants. The exception, as I said, is the red man and the black man, the savage and the slave. And they were the only two groups of people that could be born in America and not be citizens in the land of their birth. Mm -hmm. So all of the rights of uh, money, exempt status, exempt tax status, I mean, uh, uh, cultural rights, sovereignty that the red man has, the native black American needs to have the same thing. Mm -hmm. And it's not that, that uh, complicated. Well, how do we know who you are? What is your name? What part of Africa is Smith, Jones, or Robinson's? Which those names do not come from the continent of Africa. Absolutely. Right. So we know by your name, and we, we, we can count back 400 years mm -hmm. ago. We can go back to 1619 because when you own property and it's valuable, you have a bill of sale for that property. And, and the bill of sales would be for the property, the human property. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So therefore, you, we know who we are. We can count back to 400 uh, years. We can count back to 2,000 years. And every 
Sunday, most churches talk to, talks about the woolly-haired man with the brass-colored feet and face that was lynched on a cross. But we don't want to bring up anything about uh, slavery because I, I think what's happening is, is we have been um, educated with this either God slave creator who had our life, who had our liberty, who had our pursuits, and uh, it, we have never been had any kind of rec recovery or repair from that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just easier to be in denial. So uh, we haven't touched the mental slavery. As you think, that's the way you're going to act. This is why Carter G. Woodson said what he did. And uh, he said that uh, when you control a man's thinking, you do not have to worry about his actions. He will find his proper place and will stay in it. You do not need to send him to the back door. He will go without being told. In fact, if there is no back door, he will protest until one is made for his use. His education demands it. And that's where uh, we are. Oh, I wasn't a slave. I was, I was in denial. So we have no incentive to try to remove those mental chains mm -hmm. uh, because we're in denial that they exist in the first place. And that's what our big challenge is today. And that is why I think that there has been such an appalling silence when it comes to this H.R. 1242 uh, law that was signed into law to talk about uh, uh, it was it was to uh, I wanted to give the exact purpose of it because they were supposed to have cities and states mm -hmm. and the entire nation talk about the contributions and the impact of kidnapped Africans. And that was supposed to uh, sort of coincide with the United Nations. Uh, I think it was 19, uh, the 2015 to 2024, mm -hmm. the decade to deal with our issues out of what the United Nations said was uh, like fundamental fairness. We wasn't moving and they were protesting the uh, shootings of black men and boys, the police killings of black men and boys, mm -hmm. the massive school closings, and the disproportionate arrests. So they set aside this decade, 2015, uh, starting with the 150th anniversary of the uh, signing of the 13th Amendment. By the way, it wasn't even local news. It didn't even make any kind of headlines except uh, Barack Obama said that the 13th Amendment didn't just free the black slaves, it freed the white chambermaid. So I wonder when was the white chambermaid who has always been put up on a pedestal past God. I, I heard somebody tell me you couldn't even say Missy Sippy. Don't you get first. Hmm. You got to say Mississippi. Yeah, because if you say Missy, you're getting fresh with that white woman saying Missy. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
Uh, so um, it, when you think they didn't even bring it up. So it, it barely gained any type of national attention, even local attention. So basically it's a small blip on the radar, which, I mean, it, it is a shame. I mean, it, it, this has something to do with history and how this country was built, even though there is a terrible history on how parts of this country was built. It should be part of or in the forefront of people's minds of how this happened, when did this happen, and why did this happen. Let's do something about it. But as I said, uh, somewhere I think blacks are, are in denial because of their shame and whites are in denial because of their guilt, and so nobody wants to face it. But it seemed that all of a sudden reparations have been popularized. It's, oh, let's just uh, attach that word reparations to everything you know uh, but when it came to the to the Jews it wasn't attached to everything reparations is repairing the damage mm -hmm. uh, the United Nations said that chattel slavery and that transatlantic slave trade was the greatest Holocaust in the history of humankind and we how could we get repaired when it's been passed on untreated for three generations. Well, as I said, uh, in the Brown versus Board of Education decision, the children were so young, I was in that group, that uh, it was doubtful that we would ever overcome it. Well, I, genocide is described as, A, killing members of the group. It doesn't apply to everybody, but it has to be of the group, and the groups are torture, uh, slavery, and genocide. Mm -hmm. Those are the three uh, categories that they talk about. So it's killing members of the group, and number two, causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group. Now, if you're six years old when you get this harm, and it's doubtful you will ever overcome it, only one question, is that serious? And if it's serious, by definition, it's genocide. So that is why I refer to myself as a Jim Crow genocide survivor. So we were not counseled. We were not helped in any way. So we passed that damage on to our children who are in their 50s. They have passed that damage untreated on to their children who are in their 30s. And they have passed that damage on untreated to their children who are now teens and weens. And our situation has gone from worse to worses to worses. So let me ask you a question. So when we, the youth of today are not as familiar with history as older people. Um, and, and not because they don't want to be familiar with it. It's just that information is not passed on the way it should be passed on. So now if you have, let's say, uh, 20, 22, 23, 25-year-old that says, I'm all about what I can do for me right now. I don't care what happened in the past. I'm for right now. What do you say to someone like that? I would say to him, again, one of my favorites, what Carter G. Woodson said. He said, if a race has no history, if it has no worthwhile tradition, it becomes a negligible factor 
in the thought of the world and stands in danger of being exterminated, quote mm-hmm. unquote. And what has happened is uh, that's why I'm on a, a mission beyond uh, the event to mark the 154th uh, anniversary of the ratifying of the 13th Amendment, which is December 18, uh, 2019, coming up, is to put the three key principles of the movement called the Days of Respect on the school calendar. When you change the brain, you will transform the behavior. Mm-hmm. Now, we wear the color green uh, every St. Patrick's Day. And at the end of the day, and it's on the school calendar, and at the end of the day, what that's about is Irish unity and reinforcing Irish history. I want the the Civic History Bill amended. Uh, The bill, I think it becomes effective next year to teach civic history. I want the American Civil Rights Renaissance of the 1960s, that period of time from 1954 to 1965 of movement protests Mm -hmm. to be uh, put on the school calendar from the standpoint of the survivors. So January 15th, you would visually affirm the principles of human and civil rights by wearing the color white on April 4th, you would visually affirm the principles of nonviolence and how to use non-carnal weapons because in the 60s we had no army, no air force, no navy, no marines, no federal, state, city police or other militia, no coast guard. So we had to put our soul force uh, up against this military force and at the end of the day they had to bow down. Mm-hmm. And so uh, and on August 28th, you would talk about uh, spiritual and moral principles of righteousness, justice, peace, peoplehood, and cultural coexistence. So you would wear the color uh, black and white. So these days coincide with Dr. King's birth, his actual birth, January 15th, white colors, principles of human and civil rights. August 28th, the date of his assassination, Black Colors, Principles of Nonviolence and How to Use Non-Carnal Weapons, and August 28, Black and White Colors, the anniversary of August 28, 1955, Emmett Till's kidnap lynching, and the anniversary of the Emancipation Dream March on Washington. It was not about all people, uh, homosexuals and, and anybody else, uh, it was not about their rights. And Dr. King said, the Negro is not free. Uh, the Supreme Court ruled in the Brown versus Board of Education decision that it was unconstitutional because it only existed to keep the status of the Negro down. When the Kerner Report of 1967 came out, it said two Americas, one white, one black, and they were separate and they were uh, unequal, and that's what we are looking at today. Reparations means repair the damage done to a particular group, and we are that particular group. So when that uh, Emancipation Dream March on Washington, that was a commemoration 
for 100 years, 1863 to 1963, the signing of the uh, Emancipation Proclamation, which, by the way, did not end slavery. It only impacted the states that was in rebellion and had become the United States of America. Right. Yeah, and there's a, there's a lot of history that goes into what the 13th Amendment really was all about. And in a nutshell, people have reduced the meaning to it freed the slaves. And that's not particularly a true statement because there's so much more that goes into it. I want to back us up just a little bit to um, Brown versus Board of Education. And, and just to um, remind our listeners what that was all about, it had to do with segregation in public schools. A little black girl couldn't go to school in a, in a white school, so some people had something to say about that. And, and that was a spark that um, lit the fire of um, human rights and civil rights movements and, and, um, and, and much more beyond that. And you said you were a product of that era. How, what, what do you remember about that specific era? I mean, how did it make you feel inside? I went to a three-room schoolhouse with an outhouse mm -hmm. in the back, and uh, it was, I will never forget my first day of school. I had older sisters and brothers. My older sister was 18 years older than me, as a matter of fact. So um, we were going to school, and we walked a very, very long ways. I was very, very tired. And we stopped at the uh, at this uh, bus stop, mm -hmm. and we were waiting for the bus. But I was just, you didn't go to school in preschool. You went when you turned six years old. And so um, they said I was going to go to school. And then we, we were waiting on the corner. And across the street, down this hill was this great, big, beautiful white building. And I said, ain't that the school? They said, girl, shut up. That's the white school. And that was the end of it. And then the bus took us out to this little shack that had a three-room schoolhouse in it. It was the first, uh, first second, and third grade room, mm -hmm. and the third, fourth, and fifth, and the sixth and, and, and uh, seventh and eighth grade uh, uh, rooms, the whole school. And what was interesting is uh, I had the same teacher that my older sisters and brothers had out of uh, nine, out of ten children. I was the youngest of five girls, and uh, I was next to, I was number nine out of the ten. So anyway, all, they're all deceased now except myself and one other sibling. Mm -hmm. But anyway, uh, she had narcolepsy, a sleeping sickness, and she had it when she was my brothers and sisters' teachers. She would stand, she would be pointing at the board, and she would fall asleep standing up. Wow. But most of the time, we took turns. Her name was Miss Cherry, and we took turns turns uh, turns scratching her head and that's mm -hmm. what she did she, she liked to sleep real good <laughs> when her head was hit scratched. <laughs> and and I had we sat on these these uh, benches we had little uh, benches not individual uh, seats and I remember 
looking on the books with uh, other children. So when I had just, when I turned nine years old, uh, my oldest sister lived in Chicago in the north. She got us out of the country because my father, whose mother was full-blooded Cherokee Indian, he was always on the verge of being lynched. Wow. Because um, he was always packing uh, his gun. And mm -hmm. when I was seven years old, I was taught how to shoot a Winchester rifle, and my arm would hardly hold it out <laughs> because you had to slide what was underneath it. And it took my arm all the way out to, to, to cock this Winchester <laughs> rifle. But my dad won uh, a contest shooting bumblebees in half wow. in flight. He was just that much <laughs> of a marksman. And so when they came to get my father, because of his many different uh, lynching experiences, they were going to get every able-bodied in the house because we all had our guns and we could all shoot. Mm -hmm. Wow. Incredible. There's a... Um, and back then, when you're growing up, you don't realize the outer world, the world that's going on around you, even if things aren't right. You just grow up, and later on in life, you learn that things weren't the way they were supposed to be. Um, and what can we do about it? Some people say, yes, we can do a lot, and some people, there's nothing we can do about it. Just forget it. Well, you know, uh, I learned, I told you about what happened when I was six years old, going to school the first day. But my brother, the youngest one, number 10, he was born with this fungus on his lungs. And uh, it was so bad until he couldn't talk until he was four, uh, four years old because he didn't have enough air quality mm -hmm. to uh, form words. So two or three times, he wasn't expected to live. He was very, very sickly. Wow. So two or three times a week, uh, we would go to Little Rock, Arkansas, to the hospital, taking my little brother. So I was just used to doing that. And one day, I was too young to go to school, so I was five years old then. I hopped up on the bus, and uh, I wanted to look out the window. And I humped up on the front of the bus, and I got me a window seat, and I wanted to look out the window. Mm -hmm. And my mother was telling me to uh, go to the back of something, and uh, I just, I, I, want, I protested. I want to look out the window. I want to look out the window. Right. I just had a fit to look out the window. And I was able to sit on the front of the bus and look out the window. And my little neck was all stretched up, and I had a window view, uh, and I could see the the cows and the animals and the trees and the people, and I just had a wonderful ride. Yeah. And then I got home, and all hell broke loose. Mm. My, I see, when you have older brothers and sisters, I was never little. I was big, always, because if my sisters had ribbons in their hair to match their socks, I had, had ribbons to have it in too. my hair right. to match my socks. Mm. And I was always big. And I was one of those little children that you didn't have to tell what to do. Because I was big, I always just did the correct things. There are children like that. 
You don't have to punish them and do all that kind of stuff. Right. And I was like that. And so when I got home, my mother said, I tried to give the little heifer the eye. And I'm saying, she called me a heifer. I didn't know what a heifer was, but I was name called. Right. I had never been name called before. That was a shocker. It was a real shocker. I was, uh, whatever that is, it's not what I was used to being called. Mm -hmm. And I got the impression that it wasn't a good thing. But every time somebody would come in, she would go over this story about the bus incident, and they would all have this big laugh. And I was mortified. I, uh, as a matter of fact, I remember very clearly, we had this great big table in the kitchen, and I went under the table, and I would hide when somebody would come into the house, and they would talk about uh, this bus incident. And um, I decided I didn't do anything bad. My mother is bad. She did something bad. And unconsciously, I just froze her out of my life. She became my grandmother and my sister became my mother. And it wasn't until I was uh, attending Columbia College before I graduated from Columbia College. Um, I was taking this writing class and the teacher said to us, close your eyes and go back, back, back in time, in time to the first time you ever remember something happening to you. And I went back in time, and it was that incident with the bus just was like it was happening right there. Wow. And then looking at it as a mother then, I was, I was really just really very upset about it. I said, I missed out on having a proper relationship with my mother because of segregation. Mm -hmm. You know, not being able to just be a normalized child and do something that that just any other child life. would do. You so were just I living as a child and she was more or less following these rules that were in place for coloreds which you had there's no way you could know about that unless they educated you about that. No, you can't sit here because there's a rule that, that if you sit here, this is what could happen. Right, and, and as an adult, I saw how frightened my mother was, and I saw what a big deal it was that someday we were going to sit on the front of the bus mm -hmm. because she sat up on the front of the bus, and it was, wow, score one for the little people, but no one explained that to me. Right. And and that is why I am, I think, such an advocate for children and the rights of children and the rights of people because I just know how evil segregation is beyond the, the uh, normal things. Fortunately, uh, my mother, because of all that time we had missed in a normal relationship we had an extraordinary relationship because she became my my best friend as well as my mother and uh 
that was a whole different different kind of thing. But it doesn't negate the fact of how spiritually wicked and there was some moral and spiritual things that happened under those laws of segregation. Yeah, the Jim Crow laws. Um, and Jim Crow laws were in the southern states, and it was a, a method to control the black people of that area. Jim Crow segregation started in 1866, immediately after, after. slavery was abolished. Mm-hmm. Then it was separate, but so-called equal. equal. Right. Who decided what was separate and what was equal? Exactly. And so it just, um, as they said in the United States Senate apology for slavery, that um, that the African, uh, it says, this is a, uh, on June 18, 2009, the United States Senate apologized for enslavement and racial segregation of African Americans forced into slavery, were brutalized, humiliated, dehumanized, and subjected to indignity of being stripped of their names and their heritage. It says, after emancipation from 246 years of slavery, African Americans soon saw the fleeting political, social, and economical gains made during Reconstruction, effecated by virulent racism, lynchings, disenfranchisement, black codes, and racial segregation laws that imposed a rigid system of officially sanctioned racial segregation in virtually all areas of life. Mm -hmm. It was all areas of life. And uh, that is what Jim Crow genocide is. It caused a lot of damage. Now, that Brown versus Board of Education, it should have been reparations for the Jim Crow genocide. And in the same uh, United States Senate apology for slavery that they enacted on June uh, 18, 2009, uh, but they put in a disclaimer, no reparations for you. And they featured Bill Clinton and George Bush is featured in that um, apology for slavery. And they said the vestiges still exist today. Yeah. Today, the 50th anniversary of the um, assassination of Fred Hampton and Mark Clark or the Laquan McDonald uh, murder, it still exists today. What we saw last week, the police officers smashing the, the man's head to the concrete which clearly knocked him out because the other officer kind of came over um, before he was aroused. And, and, and for what? Mm-hmm. I mean, whether it's loose squares or um, in, 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 what was it, Brown's case, he uh, didn't move, cross the street or didn't, was jaywalking or something. Right. I mean, all of these, it exists today. And, and t- on, on the very... 200, uh, I mean, uh, 154 years ago, as I said to you earlier, when you do the math, we have only, as a people, we've only had 55 years that we didn't have federal laws against us as a group. It didn't, they did not apply 
to anybody else. And so we have got to claim our indigenous Native Black American status. If I just say Native American, like Richard Wright was saying in his in his book, he was telling everybody we're natives of the of this country. But if I don't, if I say Native Black Americans, uh, blacks will say to me, "What tribe are you from?" Indigenous means that you were there. 1619 came before July 4, 1776, mm -hmm. and it's not that complicated. And we get ourselves mixed up with all these other groups, black and brown. No, we have absolutely nothing in common with anybody except the red man and the black man. The red man got holocaust when, he, when his land was snatched. The black man got holocaust when he was snatched from his homeland to work that stolen land for 246 years as a movable property thing called chattel, followed by 88 years of Jim Crow genocide, followed by 11 years of movement picketing, protesting, being bullied, bombed, uh, murdered, to enforce the right to vote in, in 1965 that was granted in the 15th Amendment in 1865. 100 years later, it takes us 11 years. So I am very much offended when some border breakers can come over here and get this reparations uh, dream act uh, that Barack Obama signed through executive order based on privilege, and we cannot even come close to those uh, rights and based on rights and crimes against our humanity and Jim Crow genocide. Let me ask you a question. Let's, let's go back to the, the reparations, the term reparations. Well, with the Senate apology, but there will not be any reparations. Where does it start? That, that type of damage that you described, that we all know to be true, that damage cannot, it's so far gone, it cannot be repaired. But you try to start making good on certain things. But well, where does it start? Why are you saying it's so far past? It has gone, we're, we're talking about crimes against humanity. We're talking about mm -hmm. Jim Crow genocide. We're talking about genocide under right. under the uh, laws of segregation that was meant according to the Brown versus Board of Education decision they have admitted all of this harm exactly that they caused okay and so what now, I'm saying so what the question is all of that is out there on the table we know what the harm is we know what the damage is where does it start it starts with uh, not being in denial Yes. about the damage. It starts when you can feel your own pain. It starts with uh, recognizing that you have not overcome 345 years of, crime, uh, of laws against you as a group mm -hmm. in 55 years, because in 55 years, it's when you started the Fred Hamptons, the, the either you're a crook, you're crazy, or you're killed. So here you go into a different phase of, of, of pro-contel and bringing the drugs into the community and, and, and the racial profiling and the plotting and the planning and all of this other stuff. And so it starts with saying, I have 
damage. I don't feel my own pain. Oh, I was never a slave, you, you know. But you're meant to, to say you were never a slave as if you escaped means that the chains are very much still on your brain. And Marcus Garvey said this, while others can remove the chains from your body, only you yourself can remove, remove them the from, change your from, mind, from your mind. And you cannot do it if you are in denial that those chains exist. So number one, anybody listening, go to the mirror. Look in, and maybe your chains have a lock on them in, in, in the front of it, so maybe you'll need a key to unlock your particular chains. Mm -hmm. But you have chains there because you have not overcome 345 years of federal laws against you because you were either uh, uh, non-human under the 246 years or close to non-human that you couldn't eat food, drink water, or use the toilet with other human beings. You have not overcome 345 years of crimes against your humanity and Jim Crow genocide because there has never been any repair. And to prove that you are not, you have not overcome it, just go to the, to the court, whereas the judge, the jury, and the executioner and the victim's family. I'm talking about, um, okay, let's go through the, the, this is a blonde white woman. She kills a black man in his own home, but the black judge allows her to have a castle defense as if that's her, her castle. And what did she say on the witness stand? I kill the threat. She didn't kill a human being. She killed the threat. Laquan McDonald, that uh, Van Dyke didn't kill a human being. He killed the knife. Uh, the knife, all he saw was the knife. The knife was coming at him, you know? And so it's this necrophobia that these uh, rec recently released uh, soldiers coming from combat mm -hmm. to, 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 to being a cop on, on the corner without any debriefing or anything else, he's coming back with a shoot-to-kill mentality, and someone has told him that blacks are the enemy. So getting back to what happened in that courtroom, the jury, they're made up of all different races and all different people, and, and uh, she said on the witness stand more than one time, I meant to kill the threat. So they had to find her guilty a first-degree murder, which they did, but they sentenced her a manslaughter verdict. And then the, here you got the judge. She gets off the bench while still in a robe, carrying a Bible, uh, denying this uh, this vic this murderer the right to choose her own religion. You're gonna push your religion on this woman. You gotta hug her up. The other woman has to deal with good hair, bad hair, and goes go through her hair. The the, the victim of the brother says uh, his training demands that he says, "I gotta hug her. I I, I have to forgive." We are always taught, always uh, never remember and always forgive. The Jew says, I will never forgive, and I will never forget. But we must never 
remember because it might make us angry if we remember. It might make us be able to put that mask on our face first before we put it on somebody else's. So that was paid out in real time. We can say, I'm not a slave and I, we can do that all we want, but what is our behavior? We are out there protecting people at the border that's broken in and based on privilege can go to graduate school for free, has amnesty from any crime that's not federal. I wrote the president. I said, why don't you add one more A onto that DREAM Act? Development, D, R, relief, E, education for African-American minors under the age of 31, and amnesty for many crime that's not federal, and exemption from student loans. Just add another A, D-R-E-A-A-M, because we are on the bottom of everybody, particularly these border breakers that are above the law. That's what the Trump trial is about. Oh, he's above the law. Every border breaker over here is above the law, and it's based on privilege. They're not even citizens. And as far as those founding fathers, oh, the founders, they were all above God's law as well as above man's law because their preamble said all men are created equal, and they were entitled to inalienable rights of life, liberty, and pursuits, as I said earlier. And who had that? The idol God slave creator. So so the first thing to do, remove the chains from your brain so that you can say, oh, our house burning, as Malcolm X said, the, the slave is going to fight harder to put out the, the fire of the slave owner than the slave owner is going to fight. Now, tell yourself this. His house is burning, and he's not at home. Your house is burning, and your children are calling out to you as parents for help. Mama, 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 daddy, daddy, daddy. And you're looking around and say, well, I better put out this, the, the slave master's house because he has a bigger house and he has more to lose than my little house that's little and, and my children are crying and they're being burned alive. But after all, I can have some more children. So what you're talking about is the slave mentality. That's what I'm talking about. Exactly. So let me ask you, when the people wake up, what's next? When they wake up, they will realize that, hey, look, this is not a request. This is a demand. And don't you tell me, Bernie Sanders, oh, well, I want reparations for everyone. Let's just uh, have universal reparations. Or you to, and shut the hell up, Bernie Sanders. Uh, when you're going to give $12 million to some Holocaust survivors and their Holocaust didn't happen here. And every time it comes to us, it's something different. No, uh, the, the, the red man and the black man, the savage and the slave. Indigenous, native, black Americans need the same rights to uh, money, land, exempt status, cultural rights, and sovereignty. You derive your power from the consent of the governed. Well, we never consented to be kidnapped from a continent and held in captivity for 246 years, followed by 88 years, followed by 11 years, and it still goes on today on the 50th anniversary of 
Fred Hampton and Mark Cox assassination. You can't tell us what to do because we never consented. And as a uh, movable property thing, we were not in a position to consent. So give us reparations, no reparations, no black vote. It's not that complicated. Put that on the agenda. You want the black vote? Well, woke slaves make up enough noise to wake up all the other slaves, and oops, there it is. Who gets the reparations? The ones that were damaged. What is your name? Smith Jones Robinson. If your name is is Haiti because you came from a land. And well, a let country. me clarify. Let me clarify. I understand totally what you're saying, but let me clarify it just a little bit. When I say who gets the reparations, do I get the reparations? Does my children? Do my children get the reparations? Do my grandchildren get the reparations? Do my great great grandchildren who aren't here yet get reparations. How do we repair the damage all the way through a bloodline? Well, let me tell you, they didn't ask that when it came to the Holocaust survivors. They did not go back to biblical times with Moses to try to go through the bloodline. It's really not that complicated. Mm -hmm. As I said, uh, crime, I am a crimes against humanity descendant because I was born before 1954. My uh, daughter was born uh, after 1965. So she is a descendant of a Jim Crow genocide survivor. I am a Crimes Against Humanity descendant because my grandparents was in the very chains of slavery. I am a Jim Crow genocide survivor because of the 88 years that didn't end until 1965 right. after the 11 years of trying to uh, all that marching and stuff to get the vote reforms. So we're dealing with now is uh, if you were born before 1954, we're talking about depending on when your grandparents was born, mm -hmm. we're talking about your crimes against humanity descended because on, uh, in I think it was September 4th, 2001, the United Nations voted uh, chattel slavery, a crime against humanity, always has been, and they rep uh, recommended reparations. And the United States and, uh, and Israel walked out but the body of the United Nations body still passed the vote that black people should receive reparations. But in some kind of way, Dick Durbin took all the things that apply to black people and put it on uh, non-citizens. Mm -hmm. And they became dreamers and, and all this other kind of stuff. And because we keep putting ourselves into the category with the wrong color, only the red man and the black man, we were the only two first protected class of persons. They never explained to us uh, what protective class of persons means. Now everybody is, is, is in a, a protected, protected class. class. But we don't belong with everybody. First thing we can do is stop this, uh, this black and brown 
the only color we belong with is Native Americans and Native Black Americans, Indigenous Native Americans, Indigenous Native Black Americans. Saying you gave it to them, give it to us. We are twin victims of the American genocidal Holocaust. Call it what it is, name it, no reparations, no black votes. So we don't want to hear about you, DACA. We want the black DACA. 400 years of delayed actions for in-chains arrivals. I'm, I'm going to point to that in just a little bit, but I, I want to take you in a little bit of a different direction. Black on black crime. Well, uh, are you surprised with black on black? It's self-hate. Well, not, it's not surprised. It is a symptom of something else something that was systemic, and it is a symptom of we, what we know have gone on in neighborhoods. But where do we go with this information, black and black crime? How do we stop this from happening? You go to the mirror, and you remove the chains from your brain, mm -hmm. and you take a good look at your face. Just because you have been told for 400 years that your nose is, is ugly and your lips are ugly and your color is ugly, just look at yourself. If it wasn't for the fat nose that you have on your face, some people wouldn't have no nose on their face at all. If it wasn't for those little juicy lips that you have, some people wouldn't have no lips on their face at all. And that is why today they're trying to get your lips. That's why they're always trying to go back to the originals. We are the parents of civilization. We are not the boys and girls. Go and review The Lion's King and see what happens when the Lion King takes his rightful place. When we, the lions of Judah, take our rightful place, everything comes from black, black to brown to red to yellow to white. Mm -hmm. the, the DNA uh, uh, studies of today, the archaeological finds of bones that they have, have uh, uh, pulled up, there is no denying everybody comes from black people. You're the parents of civilization. You have every right to be here. All of these, these races, red, brown, black, and white, they are all yours. They all stem from you. You have no, no right to hate on anyone. The browns are all yours. The reds are all yours. The yellows are all yours. The whites are all yours. You're the parents of civilization, and these are your children. You don't, you don't have the luxury of hating on your children, but you've got to begin to love on yourself because you have been taught for centuries not to. And once I get rid of the self-hate, how do we get rid of the greed in the community? How do we get rid of the crookedness in politics? How do we get rid of the drugs that destroy? And I want to I talk about that, too. Once, once, once we get off of this subject, I want to talk about the drugs also. As I said, once you remove the chains mm -hmm. from your brain and start loving yourself into shape, you have been whipped into shape. It has bent you out of shape. When you are loved into shape, you will stay in shape. And it's, 
it starts, if we didn't hate ourselves, we wouldn't kill ourselves. It's all stemming from self-hate and untreated, hard, mind, subjugated syndrome, white supremacy, idol god, slave creator, damage. Now, the back during the 80s, when crack cocaine made its debut into the black communities, we, have, we know that it has completely decimated neighborhoods and destroyed families. And back then, do you ever recall seeing any type of forceful action to help anyone that's addicted on crack cocaine other than programs you know there's programs but national campaigns to help the key to what you just said was it made its way uh, fred hampton and mark clark it made its way no it didn't make its way the government brought it in there do you know well that's a documented fact but it still had to get there because it didn't start there. Exactly. It was planted there along with a lot of other things going on in these last 55 years. Mm -hmm. Okay. First of all, the drugs are put there. You are desperate and, hate and, and hurting people, and you are self-medicating. It doesn't matter that it, it was a broken leg and you were self-medicating trying to solve that pain or this emotional pain that's so traumatizing, the pain of being traumatized all the days of your life, that kind of pain. And so we put the medicine there in your community so you can you can self-medicate. We've already done the studies with the rats. We know what's gonna happen when we crowd you in to a high-rise project uh, building. Yeah. We already know what's gonna happen when you take away the food supply and you have to struggle to it. So this was the new wave of how do we keep the Negro down. And, and nobody else is under these assaults. Nobody else is under these attacks. And so once you are hooked, once you are ill, uh, the drug takes over. And, and what do you do? We have this Bill Clinton that we thought was the most wonderful uh, president we ever had, when in fact he was the worst one we ever had. He is the one that eliminated Tanner aid to families with dependent, uh, I mean, he created TANA, but he eliminated aid to families with dependent children. He uh, eliminated that. Uh, he put in these uh, meaningless programs like midnight basketball, and if you were out past 11 o'clock, you could be arrested for curfew that created a lot of other uh, kinds of uh, arrests. Then, uh, uh, with the drugs being planted deliberately by the government itself, you're, you're dealing with all the redlining. We're not going to give any resources over here. It was uh, uh, another wave of, of terrorist attack. Divisive plan to 
it, troll it, neighborhoods. It, 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 exactly. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the Kerner report came out and said, you know what? This isn't a black people's problem. White society created this, and white institutions maintain this, and white society condones it. Well, what do we, and this is what we need to do to rectify it pass the tax if necessary. And they also said that there are three choices open to the nation. One of the choices was pursue integration and it's not working. The other one was uh, to um, enrich the community, eliminate uh, the ghettos. And there was another choice, encourage them to go to other areas. That was the birth of gentrification. It, we wasn't occur, encouraged to go to other areas, but it was like, uh, uh, we don't want to move from Robert, uh, from Cabrini Green. We love it here. Mm -hmm. It's centrally located, it's beautiful. We've been living here for decades and we don't want to move. So what do you have to do? The government has to become a slum landlord. I'm not going to fix the elevators and I'm not going to fix the toilet. And now, oh boy, you all have to move out of here. It's just too unsafe. You've got to move. But as soon as we uh, build up the new property, you can come back. So now they have the map. Okay, we don't have any... Uh, any little, uh, any little ninjas living in Ohio. Let's well, let's put some uh, vouchers over in Ohio. Hmm. Kentucky. Let's put some vouchers over in Kentucky. So now they've scattered you all over America. So you will never have over twenty or thirty percent in one location in order to be a threat. Mm -hmm. And so they, they have willfully done this. We wasn't encouraged to go to these other areas. You tore down our homes and forced us to go. You forced the red man to go uh, on reservations. That wasn't his choice. You decided what reservations you was going to give him, and you decided what vouchers you were going to give us. So you, you did the, the same old game. You just did it with the other twin victim of the American genocidal holocaust. And all we have to do, you need our vote? Mm-hmm. Well, so, we want something in exchange for it this time. So the other half of breaking up the neighborhoods, the regentrification. Massive uh, What happens in the new neighborhood now? Okay. Human beings, when you treat them like human beings, they are human beings after all. Uh, they will go back to being human beings. Uh, when Diane uh, Sawyer, she did, uh, when President Barack Obama was uh, the president, she did this uh, special called The Hidden America and uh, in, about Chicago. I remember that she talked to a little uh, person that was in a gang group and uh, or a gang nation. Uh, he, he said, do you think I want to be doing this? He said, we, we have, have no jobs. We, we have no, no love. We have no nothing. And President Barack Obama was the president of the United States. But all he could think of is to call 
uh, Kanye West a jackass because he said a black woman's album was better than, in his opinion, than a white woman's album. But then when Trump pats him on the back and says, good man, oh, you don't like that at all. But where was the outcry? When you're going to call the very young man that said Bush don't like black people uh -huh. and got help for the people that were drowning in, 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 New Orleans. in New Orleans, the only one that ever stood up and said something, used that public platform to, to speak on behalf of the people. But the president of the United States, this is somebody from your hometown whose mother is, was a respected educator who, was, who has made good. Because when you go back to the litany of people and you say, Kanye West, who is from the city of Chicago, can compare with him. Record-wise, I know that Sam Cooke, no. Oh, uh, Nat King Cole, no. Who from this city can outdo his fame? It's a good question. It's a good question. And... Um, and when we, we talk about um, when people are out of the neighborhoods, forced out of the neighborhoods, and it's rebuilt back up, the property becomes so expensive that there is no way this family can move back into that neighborhood that they may have been looking forward to doing. But sometimes people have to recognize the small print, the small print at the bottom. Read the fine print at the bottom. Get involved in knowing what happens when these neighborhoods are rebuilt. Do you become a property owner at the onset, or do you figure out the game later on when it's too late? Well, it, it's what happens is you could re, re daily started with no matter what happened, tear down an abandoned building. Inglewood didn't have abandoned building; they had single family homes. The, the, when black people had a tendency, if the house next to me became vacant, I wanted my sister to move there, mm -hmm. you know? Right. And, 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 but we're not going to let your sister buy that place. We'll let somebody else from a different racial group buy that place, or we will uh, uh, tear it down. If, it's, if, it's, if, it's, if you got something to work with, why don't you come in and rehab that place? Why would you tear it down and build it back up from scratch? When you've got something to work with, it would be cheaper. But that wasn't the plan. The plan was we're going to get you out of Dodge, and we didn't trick you, we didn't lie to you, saying this is just, we just gonna bring you right on back to Cabrini Green as soon as we get everything straightened out. But that was never the intention. The intention was to remove us like they removed the Native Americans, encourage you to go to other areas. No, it wasn't with encouragement. You tore down our houses and then you decided but looking at the whole map, how you could manipulate us as a people. And we are tired of it. And that's why this intergenerational activity on December uh, uh, 18th, 
the 154th anniversary of the ratifying of the 13th Amendment is so important. I call it a human reef of respect. Yeah, talk to me about what's going on on December 18th. What's happening? Okay, everybody has a city hall. So what we want to, to, to people to do, if they are under the age, if they can go and... and, and uh, we want them all to be uniformed. If you were looking from a high-rise building or an airplane, you would see, and the people were all around City Hall, you would see red. Uh, if they were uh, uh, over the age of, of uh, if they were over the, uh, born before 1954, they would wear red. Hopefully, we want everybody with one of those automatic wheelchairs in particular we want them out leading. I, I haven't talked to Fred, uh, Chairman Fred's mother yet, but I'm hoping that she will uh, be one of the leaders of this uh, uh, human reef of respect. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is something that the people can do. If you uh, was born before 1954, you would wear the color red. Everybody in the red. Go to the Dollar Tree and, and get one of those plastic tablecloths that's that's uh you can cut a hole in the top of it and you'll have a nice little overlay like a poncho right mm -hmm. yeah absolutely you throw that over you put your blanket under it or your coat or whatever and especially the automatic wheelchairs because i want to see a police officer come and take one of those two-ton chairs and throw it up on a paddy wagon <laughs> like they used to take black women by the legs and sling them up on a paddy wagon like you would a sack of potatoes i'd like to see them do that so we want, if you don't have any old people that you know with an automatic wheelchair, go rent one, find one, borrow one, so that they can have the red. And then uh, the next group born after 1965, after the Renaissance of the 60s, they wear the black colors. And then the uh, ones born after 1984, mm -hmm. they would wear the green. So you have this intergenerational reef, human reef of respect going around that city hall. Now, if you sing, lift every voice and sing all three verses, three separate times, you will be going around city hall for uh, nine, and nine is divine. Now, what is important about the Negro National Anthem is because it tells, lift every voice and sing, tells our history from our standpoint. That is totally, uh, that's the only way we could preserve our history because it could not be taught in schools. And if it was in taught in schools, it was distorted and changed by other people. So this is, we've got to make a showing to say that we respect those ancestors. And I would like for Reverend L. Sh uh, uh, Sharpton mm -hmm. to uh, float out a reef of respect to that Statue of Liberty in New York. And because those chains was representing a slave black woman as a gift from France for the abolition of, of slavery. So they've got a chain that's what that's for. Yeah. So f because our ancestors who perished by the millions uh, during that a Atlantic slave uh, trip was never properly buried.
And after 400 years, we should be willing to do something, show respect. Respect was taken away from us as a people on purpose, and on purpose, we've got to take it back. I hear you. Okay. So that's December 18th. Yes. And we are talking about um, Chicago City Hall, 121 North LaSalle. Yes. At 12 p.m. Yes. So if you can make it there, we encourage you to uh, come out and um, show that respect and gain that respect. And if you can't, have a red, black, and green flag. We're inviting all Americans to uh, show a red, black, and green flag from their windows, on their desks at work. Show some respect for the first time after 400 years because no one, all the other people, as I said earlier, over here are immigrants. You show some respect for the indigenous native black Americans on this one uh, uh, time after 400 years of everybody capitalizing on a dream at the expense of us living in a nightmare. No well reparations, said. no black vote. Well said. Mamadi, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate your knowledge and your passion about this. And I so certainly hope the eyes of America become open with this information. And let's get the word out. So um, I appreciate you coming on. Well, I certainly uh, appreciate uh, uh, coming on. It's, it's, it's been a pleasure. I, I, I don't know if I covered whatever, but... Uh, uh, we just got to love people into shape. See, when we love them into shape, instead of just whipping them into shape, causing them to get bent out of shape, when we love them into shape, they will stay in shape. I like and that. And a mother teaches love. That is a very good point. I love that. So thank you again. I really do appreciate it. Um, I want to tell our listeners, um, take this information and use it for good and pass it on and um, teach with it. Thank you again for joining us. This is It's All About the People with your host, Rob Collins, and we will come back to you soon with another podcast. Thank you, everybody.